If you were my girlfriend, I was whoever you wanted me to be. If you were my friend, I was whoever you wanted me to be. At best, I was a bad actor. We've been in the series in Galatians, and we've been talking about uh, how the importance of God's word, and there's a couple of reasons why we're going in this series of Galatians, and we're starting with the first verse, and we're ending with the last verse. The reason we're doing it is because we really believe that God's word is truly a directional beacon for our lives, and that we need it to direct us and help us, to guide us and teach us, and we really find our authority in, or we don't find our authority, we find the authority for our lives in God's word. So we started about five weeks ago in the first verse, and now we're in the second chapter, and um, it's, it's, we're going to be here for a couple of months, so get comfortable, and uh, pray also for the people who are trying to get through the traffic. Um, last week, we found out that Jesus plus Nothing equals salvation. Does anybody remember that? Last week, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And what we said was, is that everybody... See, religion is adding something to Jesus. Religion is maybe taking Jesus completely out of the way. We said, and, and by the way, this, this phrase that I'm about to say has been totally taken... Um, for other people, you know, it's, it, the, the original phrase, and you've heard it in a different way, but it was stolen from Christianity. The phrase was this, um, that uh, religion is for people who are afraid to go to hell. Christianity is for those who've already been there. I know a lot of you have heard that said in different ways, but that's where it originally came from. Religion is for those who are afraid to go to hell. Christianity is for those who've been there. Because there is nothing that you can add to Jesus In fact, when you add something to Jesus, you take away salvation. And so Jesus plus nothing. And we spent all last week trying to flesh that out. This week, we're going to... And here's what people... Here's the normal things that people do. Jesus plus being good. Jesus plus attending church. Jesus plus... uh, uh, you know, giving up bad habits. Jesus, pl- listen, you know that you're a, a person who's full of religion if you've ever said, well, yeah, I want to connect with God. I want to, you know, but you know what? I got to work these things out of my life. I got to address this area in my life because I don't want to be a hypocrite. And whenever anybody says that, you know, well, I don't want to go to church and be a hypocrite, I go, to, you know, or, or whenever anybody says, I don't want to go to church with all those hypocrites, I remind them that there's always room for one more. And so, you know, all right. And so today what we're going to talk about is Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. Now, some of us actually think that the gospel is something that we receive when we first come to Christianity and we receive when we first get to Christ, but and then we just, oh, now let's get to some more meatier things. Let's get to some more important things. The gospel is everything. You will spend the rest of your life trying to unpack the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. 
there's this great passage. Now, we're going to read. We're going to start off right where we uh, left off last week. And we're going to read just what was just read. And we're going to see how God just needs us to just simply accept where we are. Stop being a bad actor and be where we are. Galatians 2, 11 through 14. And in fact, before we read, before we read, why don't we pray? Uh, I think we should pray. Let's pray. Father, you are a great God, and there are people right now who are on their way here, and uh, they can't get through the traffic, and that they're getting discouraged. Lord, would you encourage them? Would you help them park their car a bunch of blocks away and walk so that they might be able to hear something that they desperately need to hear from Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would move my arrogance and my pride, my hypocrisy. And would you would really help me. Help me to be completely and utterly surrendered to you. Help me not to be distracted by emotions or anything else. Lord, you be our God. Strengthen us to be, make us to be, help us to be your people. And Lord, there are people in this group right now who are hurting. Lord, would you comfort them even now? Marriages who are nearly completely broken apart, would you draw them to yourself? Children who are really going wayward, would you help them? to pursue you. We thank you, O God, because you're a gracious God. And we ask that you would help us to pursue you and understand your word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul, the writer of Galatians, who is he writing to? These people from Galatia. And he's expressing to them, he's telling them, there is a right turn you made somewhere. There's a left turn you made somewhere. There is a deviation from the gospel that you're embracing. You're adding something to Jesus for salvation. You're adding something to Jesus for the gospel. So the whole letter, the whole letter is that Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. Jesus plus nothing is salvation. Jesus plus nothing. 
So Paul, he's writing this, and we learned about Barnabas. Barnabas was a guy who went along with him. He also came, he brought along Titus, and they had this sort of uh, uh, meeting, and we found this out in chapter 1. They had this meeting where they discussed what was the gospel. Interestingly enough, they had this meeting something like 14 to uh, 15 to 20 years after Jesus had died. You'd think they know what the gospel is by now. So if if you're here and you're not sure what the gospel is, or if you're here and you confuse uh, uh, doing good works with living in the gospel, if you confuse what those two things are, listen, welcome. It took these guys. It just, it was, this is a radical message. And when you hear the message of Jesus Christ, if you're religious, it should offend you. And if you're far from God, it should give you great hope. The gospel is something else. So uh, Peter comes all the way up to Jerusalem and, 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 and he goes and he shares. And now what's interesting is that Cephas, that is Peter. Cephas is another name for Peter. He's, you know, uh, Peter, Cephas, right? They're the same guy. Cephas, uh, Paul uh, speaks about the gospel to James, John, and um, Peter, which is Cephas. And they all agree, yeah, this is the gospel. It's not, it's not Jesus plus the culture I grew up with. Not Jesus plus religion. Jesus plus do's and don'ts and laws and Jesus. It's not any of that. It's Jesus plus nothing. They all agreed. They all, in fact, they all embraced and spoke truly about that. Now, After this, Peter goes to visit Antioch. They're no longer in Jerusalem. Some time has passed. We don't know if a year or two or some time. Peter goes to um, Antioch. He leaves Jerusalem. Paul went to Jerusalem. Peter is now going to Antioch. And he's spending time. Now he's no longer in the Jewish central of Christianity. Now he's in Antioch where the uh, non-Jewish Christians are. This This is outrageous. And Peter is living out the gospel. He's eating the foods that they're eating. Remember, there are dietary laws in the Jewish uh, tradition that prevent them from eating with Gentiles and prevent them from eating what the Gentiles were eating. So he was eating with them. He was enjoying himself. Listen to what it says. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. These are incredibly strong words. He says, Paul is saying, I, I came against him face to face. If you look, if you think of a face-off where boxers or, or fighters are about to um, have a fight and, and they're just like that close. I, I opposed him. I came against him. Why would Paul go against Peter? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Now it's interesting. Now watch this. James was a part of the of the the community that agreed. No, it's the Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. Jesus plus nothing. But there were men that came from James. Just like some people will come from this church and they'll tell you lies and nonsense and things. And, and you know, they'll tell you things like, well, it's okay if you use. 
you know, they'll, they'll take the words that we say. Well, it's Jesus plus nothing. That means I could use and, and still be loved by God. Or it's Jesus plus nothing. So that means I can beat my wife and still be loved by God. Listen, their condemnation is deserved. And, and there will be people who come from this church and who will say things. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and said, you know, well, someone from your church did, said, and I'm just like, wow, that's not what we represent. It's possible to come from a guy, even like James, and still miss the gospel. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they, that is the men from James, not James, the men from James, But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. I feel this so deeply. You see, Peter, he sees the circumcision party, these guys who are rooted in this religious tradition, and he's experiencing and living out the freedom of the gospel. But when these guys come in, he subtly, it's not, it wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't like he was eating like a bacon with them. And then he said, oh, the circumcision party's here. No, guys, I won't eat with you guys. I'm going to go with this guy. It wasn't like that. It was a subtle, slow progression. Maybe Peter didn't even recognize it. Here's something that we realize about the gospel. Listen, something that we realize about the gospel is that it's slippery. The gospel's slippery. That you can have the gospel, and you can understand the gospel today and next week completely live against this is something that I'm just discovering in my own life it's so hard I I just need the grace of God to help me to live out the gospel in all my affairs it gets so difficult the gospel is slippery and it slips out of your hand and Peter comes and he forgets the God Peter you know why Peter did this because he was a hypocrite And so are we. And that you can be in the gospel and you can be, you can be an apostle of a movement where we name whole buildings after you. And you can find yourself in moments where you're a hypocrite. Hypocrite is an interesting word. It means to play act or be something that you're not. We get it from the Greek word um, uh, hypocrites. And that Greek word, you know what it originally meant? It meant play actors. Actors who would come on stage, put on a mask, and behave in a particular way, and then that same actor would take, put on another mask and behave in particular ways. Peter put on a mask. And Paul used this very same word, hypocrite. He put on a mask because he had forgotten or had let the gospel slip from his hands. And verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted, there's our word, hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. By their hypocrisy. Do you see how slippery the gospel is? Barnabas, listen, Peter, just just very close to that moment, Peter had said, it's Jesus plus nothing is salvation. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. But let me tell you why. The reason 
Peter put on a mask and the reason that Barnabas put on a mask and the reason that you put on a mask is because we really don't think that we'll be accepted and that we'll be loved. And that even in community of God, we won't be received. Isn't that crazy? In a place where we're received by God, in grace, we would have standards for receiving one another. I wish sometimes, I wish sometimes I could take off my mask. I wish sometimes that I would take off my mask and tell you how scared I get sometimes. How sometimes when I'm pastoring this church, I just don't even know what I'm doing. How sometimes I'm in my office and you think I'm studying and working really hard and I'm watching stupid, funny videos. How when I'm at home, I sometimes treat my family really badly. And then I walk around with this rage that gives me such an impatience with people. How at the drop of a hat, I can be very kind and then be very mean to the people that I love the most. I put on my mask. When I'm in front of pastors, I tell them that more people show up in this church than actually do. When I'm in front of others, I sometimes try to behave more humble than I really am. And I serve them for the purpose of them understanding or saying that I'm humble. What's your mask? If I put you up here to confess, what would it be? It's uncomfortable. It's not something I'm natural at. I was given a great illustration this week. Somebody kept on coming into my office uh, at different times um, throughout the week. And I was watching, uh, I was supposed to be studying, and I was watching um, uh, uh, the Jay-Z video, um, the MTV Video Music Awards, Jay-Z, Empire State of Mind. Did you know that pastors are not supposed to listen to that? Did you know that? I don't know if you know that. I know that. And so when they came, and I heard their footsteps, I kept on closing the window. You know what you call that? hypocrite. You call that person a hypocrite. I was, and then it got so comical because it happened four or five times in like two hours. I just said, all right, you need to just put the stereo up, put it really loud, and just free yourself because uh, you're a great big old hypocrite. It's, it's the fear that I have for you. It's the fear that you'll be coming to a church like this and hear the gospel and realize that you're free and that you don't have to pretend anymore and that you don't have to hide your cigarettes and that you don't have to act like you're clean when you're not clean and that you could mess up and blow it and leave this place. And, 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 and it's my fear that you'll hear the gospel, this Jesus plus nothing, and you'll come in here 
and add something. But I'm a hypocrite. And when I talk most of the time, I'm hiding who I really am. And I put on my mask really well. And then I'm not, I really don't believe that I'm deeply loved by God. Because if I did, I wouldn't have to pretend for you. And so I'll put on my mask. And And I'll be who you want me to be. And I'll leave the Gentiles to walk with the circumcision group because I'm afraid. I'm afraid maybe God won't love me if I don't act this way, do this thing. I'm telling you, I'm preaching this more for me than for you. It's Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. But when I saw that there, verse 14... But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I love this. This this phrase, not in step. You know what it really means? It's it's the Greek word. It's it's orthopedical. uh, Orthopedos. It's where we get the word orthopedic. Right? Your doctor makes your foot straight. Right? And it means straight step or straight line. It's... If you... If you ever were driving a car and a police officer considered you um, to be perhaps drunk, what did he do? He orthopedos on the road so that you, if you could walk the straight line, you were sober. And if you were, found it a little difficult, he knew that you weren't. The, the straight line indicates how orthodox, how true you are to the statements that you make. I, I, I saw that their conduct was not in step, in line with the gospel. What's the gospel? The God, listen, if, isn't it true? If you were really deeply loved, you can come in here and tell us that you used five minutes ago. And that you could be loved. Isn't it true that if we really believe this, that you really could be the worst parent. And your kids really could have paid a terrible part. Be in jail now. Because of the kind of parent you were. And you could experience the peace of Jesus. Because he loves you. Even even the way you are. Isn't it true that you could come into church and And connect with people and not be afraid of them finding out what a bad wife you really are. Isn't it true that if we really believe this, we would stop trying to impress people that we don't know? Isn't it true that we would take off our masks? It's tough to believe. It's tough to believe that anybody could love me the way I am. It's tough to believe. It's tough to believe that anybody could accept me the way I really am. It's hard. And so I treat God the way I treat you. 
I stand off, and there's a distance between us, and I, you only see what I allow you to see. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. There's a straight line of the gospel. And listen, the gospel says that you're free. That you're loved with a love that is more than any other love you've experienced. You're loved in the midst of your dysfunction. You don't moralize your way to behaving better. You're loved there. You see the difference? How does a person like me get rid of his rage? I try really hard. I, I count to ten backwards. I, 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 I write, write scripture and read it in my mind and memorize whole chapters of scripture. How does a person like me, how does a person like me stop lusting? How does a person like me do that? He's loved there. You're loved there. Yeah, but I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still going to God and asking for forgiveness for the same thing that I did three years ago. Isn't he loving Yeah, but I'm still blown and I'm still falling sometimes and I'm still not making... Isn't he patient? Listen, listen. If you've ever been to church, and I know I've done this because I'm just learning this myself, and you felt condemned and you didn't experience the gospel, that Jesus loves you. Now listen, this is true, by the way. Let Let me make this very, very clear. This is true for those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're on your own then do the best you can. Keep the mask on. But if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, I wonder if you could dare even though you're afraid, even though you don't know what others will think of you. I wonder if you could just be where you're at. And say, this is really who I am. I'm a guy that when every time I go onto the computer and I'm by myself, I struggle mightily against pornography. It's not like a little struggle. It's a big struggle. It's not like a, sometimes I do searches um, for, uh, and you know how like you can do searches for like Paul or Jesus or something like that and negative things can pop up. Sometimes in the back of my mind, I hope negative things can pop up so I can kind of get a fix without having to say I actually looked for it. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Makes me. Here's what I know. I am loved and I've added nothing to my salvation. And God has done everything for me so that I might live free to be loved and to love and not have to pretend. Even in front of you. I don't want to be an actor anymore. Do you? 
if you're like me, when I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about, oh my gosh, what are they going to say? If I start confessing this stuff, what are they going to think? And I know that right now, you're more focused on my sin than you are on yours. And it's okay. You're in church. It's all right. It's easier, isn't it? It's just easier to focus on my sin than yours. And so it's... But Jesus came so we could put the masks down. Jesus came so that we might, he might love even the part that you think. Let me tell you something. That part of you that was when you were raped, when you were a small kid, and so you won't let anybody inside the deep parts of your heart, that part of you, that's the part Jesus wants to touch. That part of you who thinks you're a low-down, dirty sinner because you cheated so, so many times on your spouse and they don't even know. That's the part that Jesus wants to love. That part of you that, that you know, you've watched so much pornography and you're going to... You, in fact, when you leave here, that's your very intention. That's the part Jesus wants to love. It's a radical gospel. It's a gospel. It's, you wonder why these 12 guys turned the whole world upside down. Because they weren't preaching religion. And I know that some of you have come in from religious places where they made you feel unloved. It's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And I guarantee you, I'll get somebody right after this message to say, Well, Pastor, are you in... I'll give you a $5 word. Antinomian, which means a person who... An an antinomian is a person person who um, believes that there's no law or is against law, that there's no law that you have to... Like, in other words, if you you kill your mom or you buy her flowers, it's the same thing. That's not me. Listen to me. I love this. Steve Brown said this, and it was brilliant. By the way... I steal other people's sermons, just so you know. Um, And I don't give them the credit that they ought, but I'm just trying to be as transparent as I can. It's going to take me a second to get over that last statement. Steve Brown. I'm starting to give them more credit. Steve Brown said this. Steve Brown said... That when people come up to him, and he's one of my favorite preachers, he has a great show called Key Life. You should plug into that. It's just a great, he's a great Bible teacher, Steve Brown. He's got, it's like Christianity with feet on. It's wonderful. And so, um, he said, when people come up to him, and they say, uh, you mean this is great. I could go smoke crack and drink and cheat on my wife and Jesus will love me. This is great. I could go to the whorehouse and, you know, uh, uh, you know, do a hit and run and just, oh, that's great. And I could just still walk in Christ. This is great. Being a Christian is wonderful. He goes, you mean God will forgive me for all of that? He goes, what are you, a fruitcake? Get out of here. You're crazy. You're going to go to hell. And then another person will come up to him and says, you know, I don't know if I'm getting this, but I think what you're saying is that I'm deeply loved by God. And I'm, I've been struggling with some stuff, and I hate it when I do it. And I hate going to those places, and I hate doing those things. But I'm going to try to believe that God really loves me. You mean God will still love me? Absolutely. 
They're asking the same question. What's the difference? One knows Jesus and one doesn't. I I have told you this about my wife. And my wife can go and she can cheat on me. I pray she never never tests this. But um, she can cheat on me with one of you many times. And I I couldn't be a pastor here for sure. I told you about the rage issue. Um, But um, just trying to be honest. Um, uh, but, But I would not leave her. I love her. Wouldn't it be something? If she loves me, how would she take that information? I remember my wife and I, because being a pastor's wife is harder than being a pastor, right? Because you're supposed to, like, play the piano and lead worship and, like, have all the answers. And, like, you know, why isn't she, why isn't she leading the women's group? She does. That's not what I wanted her to do. Her ministry is to me and her children. That's her ministry. And so... Uh, we, we got into a fight a couple of years ago because I demanded that she be at every single service. And, every, and some of you have even come up to me and said, why wasn't your wife there? Because she doesn't have to be. Why wasn't your wife at this service? Because she doesn't have to be. That's why. Well, uh, so we were having this argument and it dawned on me that I don't really love her. I just expect her to do things that I want her to do, and I'll love her insofar as she'll do what I wanted her to do. As long as she keeps her mask on, she can be loved by me. And it hit me, and I was in the bathtub. And I said, oh, Jesus, help me to love her. And I remember that conversation. I told her this. I said, do me a favor. If you want, you can go to another church, and I'll love you deeply. You want to prove me wrong? Be a Buddhist. And I'll love you deeply. Give your heart to Allah and start giving your testimony all over America how your husband's a pastor and you can't wait for him to come to Allah. And I'll love you deeply. I'm hoping she doesn't test me on this, but but that is a different love, isn't it? Peter had let that love slip from his hands. And I figure if it slipped out of Peter's hands, I suppose every now and again it'll slip out of yours. Don't let it slip from your hands. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Now, I want you to know that if you cheat on your wife, She'll probably divorce you. And I want you to know that she'll take you for everything you've got. And you'll have to live with your mother in the little bitter, itty bitty room. But Jesus will love you deeply. I want you to know that if you take a swing at me, I will duck and give you a left to the body and a right to your jaw. But Jesus will love you deeply. I want you to know that if you leave this place and you smoke crack, your heart may stop and you will die and you will meet Jesus 
who will tell you how much he loves you. I want you to know that you can leave here and be a teenager and have sex outside of marriage and get pregnant and have to tell your parents the very thing that you wish you couldn't and didn't have to. And even in the midst of that chaos, Jesus wants to love you deeply. Can you be loved like that? Can you experience the gospel? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. If you don't know Jesus, that means just going, Jesus, I'm a complete and utter, just agreeing with God. I'm a complete and utter moral failure. Even the good things that I try to do, I have strings attached to them. That's really who I am. And even if you're religious, Jesus can save you. Even if you go, Jesus plus all the good works that I've done for all these years. You're the toughest person for Jesus to save, of course, because you think you don't need him. People who are smoking crack don't need to be convinced that they need Jesus. People who are living outside of the will of God and experiencing the pain of that, the the toughest people to convince that they need Jesus are religious people. Don't be that guy. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But here, listen, Jesus plus nothing equals the gospel. That means I can walk in the good news. Yesterday, I was uh, speaking at uh, like a big happy hallelujah party. And as I was speaking at this hallelujah party, it was bad. Like, I mean, the hallelujah party was phenomenal. They had professional dancers. They had professional comedians. They had a professional DJ. They had a professional comedian. It was like this, in 92nd Street, it was in Harlem. And it was great. Because when I came up there, I said, listen, this is the part where the boring white guy comes up and speaks. So if you're going to go, now's a good time. They, they took me up on it. I lost a third of the audience. A third. Like, there was 200 million, right? If you have three people there and one person leaves, all right, well, you know, you, 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 you swing and you miss. When 50 or 60 people start leaving, when you're in the middle of your speak, speech, you're not doing so well. And that's what happened. Let me tell you something. I die. You know, I identify myself by the kind of communicator I am. That's, that's where my worth comes from. If I preach great, it used to be, you know, it used to be like if my wife loves me, then I'm great. If my wife doesn't love me, now it's my communication lately. And if I preach good, I'm on top of the world. And if I preach bad, then I'm the worst person in the universe and I go through deep depressions, unlike none of you, right? I'm just, that's just me. And, um, and you know what? I need to preach the gospel to myself. Edwin, you're loved even when you're a bad preacher. Even when you blow it. Even when you've given an opportunity to share the gospel with over 200 people. And it is awful. Let me ask you something. What does Jesus have to love you through? What did Jesus have to love you through this week? Hmm? Did you relapse and you're not telling anybody? Did you tell people that you were better or, or, or more advanced or more mature than you actually are? Do you only come here so that Jesus can love you? I'll get you get out of jail free card. You, even coming to church, 
Listen why we come to church, to learn more about the one who loves us. Here's why you're motivated to live for Jesus, because he loves you and you love him. Not because he'll hold it over your head and he's ready to hammer you. I said to Cephas, the last part of verse 14, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You know what he's saying, right? You're religious and you blow it. Why would you force someone else to be religious? Listen. I don't know how this message is landing. I know some of you, this message is landing as like license. License to sin. And for others, it's landing like, like a solve. Like an ointment to your soul. I don't know how it's landing. God knows. I don't want you to be religious. I want you to be lovers of Jesus Christ. And here's how we're going to do that. We're going to ask Jesus to get rid of our masks. See, this is the part of the sermon where I'm supposed to go, now put down your masks and just, you know, uh, do this and do that. And you can't. You'd have done it by now if you could. Isn't that true? So here's the deal. What's your mask? You have a yellow card right there in your, in your um, bulletin. And you should. And uh, in that yellow card, There's a place where it says the decision that I've made today. Whatever mask you're going to drop, or you're going to, not drop, but you're going to ask Jesus to be rid of, whatever it is, it might be six or seven. You know, It might be, uh, whatever it is, hypocrisy, liar. Whatever mask you put on, you're rageful, but you try to act like you're kind. You're uh, disorganized, but you try to act like you're organized. Whatever it is. I want you to put that mask down. This is my mask. You know, unorganized, rageful, whatever it is. Jesus, will you this week help me to remove this mask? Would you this week help me to draw closer to you? Would you this week help me? And here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that God is going to start making you aware of the things that you do that are far from God. Whether it's sneaking that cigarette, whether it's flirting with that coworker, whether it's cheating at your schoolwork, whether it's lying to yourself, whatever it is, ask Jesus to remove. Now, here's what you're going to find. As you start taking off your mask and you start being honest with others, you know what you're going to find? There's a great gift in Christ that you're going to find. You're going to find the gift of the me too. I remember my mom, uh, she went to a church. You know how like you can tell people who smoke? I can tell people who smoke. Can you tell people who smoke? Like people who smoke, they don't have to necessarily... Uh, smoke in front of me, I can just, you know, they, they, you know, there's a particular look about them, there's a particular smell about them, there's a particular, right, you know, they, they smell like nicotine and all that other stuff, right? And so you don't have to necessarily see them smoke. I remember um, my mom would go to one of her churches, and the kind of churches that she went to was like charismatic, six-hour, 
They feed you in the middle of the day. The pastor picks everybody up, you know, in the van, right? And the reason he does is so that you can't leave in the middle of the six-hour marathon, right? I understand that culture, right? And so it's like real, real, like one of those deals, right? And so, so she came, and I was just, it, it struck me one day. She came home after this church service, like frantic, right? We had, or, you know, organized her place and all that other stuff. She was like, where are my cigarettes? She needed a cigarette. She had, like, you know, it was a six-hour service. It was a half hour there, a half hour back. So it was like seven hours, no cigarettes. You used to smoke in a pack and a half a day. You want your cigarettes. So she was pretty serious. And I was just interested because I had seen some of the people that, uh, that go to church with her. And I thought to myself, they're all smokers. But they don't smoke in church. Because smoking in church is like cheating on your wife, like in that church, right? It's like, you know, you know how like you go to some churches and they're all, like everything is like, ah! Like, you know what I mean, right? Right? You know, you just like, you know, you, you, you curse and it's like, ah! You just murdered somebody. And you, there's like no degrees. There's no, you know. And I just looked at it and I wish, and if just someone would have taken off their mask, I bet you 10 people on that bus would have said, me too. You know what they else would have said? Let's pool our money and buy cigarettes so it's cheaper for us. No, no, they wouldn't have said that. This is probably what they would have said. Maybe they would have. But you know what? If they would have, they would have at least been honest and been loved by Jesus. And someone, even if they did that, someone would eventually have said, I want to stop smoking. You want to do it together? And they would have said, yeah. And you know what would have happened? They would have stopped smoking for about two or three days. And then, you know, they said, I'm going to get a cigarette. You want me to buy you one? Sure. And that's what would have happened. And they would have been deeply loved to nicotinelessness. What a radical difference than the way you were raised and the way you grew up and the religion that you were taught. What a radical change. You mean, if I'm a hell... Yeah, you're a hellraiser. Watch this. If you're his. If you're not his, then you really have to go it alone. My prayer is that you would be his. Here's my point. When you start being right where you're at, other, you, God starts putting people in your way. Isn't it true that people have confessed some sins to you that you're practicing and you go, oh, that's terrible. And you don't confess your sin? Isn't it true? Like, is that, am I the only one who does that? Like, I'll hear somebody go, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, I just, I just lashed out at my wife. I go, really? Psh, you need Jesus. Because I've never lashed out at my wife. Yeah, I got upset with my wife, and I, and I told her it wasn't even her fault. I got upset at something else. And I just lashed out. I was like, whoo, you need to read the Bible. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Me too. Bring people your way where you can say, me too. I'll practice it. I'll be the first one. So, what? We're practicing something, okay? In the next two minutes, we're going to pray. Then, if you're struggling with homosexuality, I want you to stand up and just say, I'm a Christian and I struggle with homosexuality. Or if you're sleeping with your girlfriend... I'm a Christian and I'm struggling with sleeping with my girlfriend. I wonder if we could be honest 
And on the day after Halloween, really take off our mask. Maybe we can practice this in this safe place where we're deeply loved. For some of you religious people, this will be very difficult. But I'm going to pray for you. Father, I don't even know what to say. I love you. And I want you to create in us an authentic Christian community. One that people who are really messed up would be very happy to show up to. And Lord, love us to look like Jesus. Love us to walk like Jesus. Lord, would you help us to get out of the idea that we can will ourselves to behaving better, to acting more nice, to doing what you want us to do. Would you take that from us? And would you love us to that point? And Father, as I've confessed my sin, my prayer is that you would help me to keep the mask off. That next week I wouldn't come up here and quote someone else's sermon when it, and act like it was my own. I pray that I wouldn't pretend like I'm more mature than I am. I pray that even in this service, and even in this congregation, we would be honest for the purpose of saying, now Jesus you transform me. Lord, I struggle with rage. You transform me. Lord, I struggle with lust. You transform me. Lord, I struggle with drugs. You transform me. Lord, would you help us to be honest? Not for the sake of just being honest and leaving it there, but Lord, asking you to do the transformation so that we can never be prideful. Prideful. We can never be arrogant. We can never think that we are the ones who deserve credit for the cleanup job that you do in our lives. And Lord, I pray right now, there are people here who want to stand up and confess and say what they struggle with. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't keep their masks on. And it would be awkward And we would feel uncomfortable and yet feel Jesus love us deeply. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, as you feel led.